Exodus chapter number 32 is where we're going to be this morning, and 33. Exodus chapter 32 and 33, we're going to, we're going to start in 33, then we're going to go back to 32, and we're going to go back to 33. Look at uh, verse number 15 in chapter 33. I'm just going to read a verse here. Verse 15, he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. That's a good verse, and that's a good verse to apply to your life. If you're not going with me, Lord, don't take me. But let me give you the context of how this happened. We know about the Exodus. We know about them getting out of Egypt. We know how God delivered them and how God parted the Red Sea. You know, I I hit on it a lot of times. But God had done all these things for them. And then they, they reach a spot where the Lord says, stop here. And he calls Moses up to the mountain, and he begins telling Moses the law for the first time. And the Bible tells us over here in verse, uh, chapter number 32, uh, verse 16, it says, And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And that first time, Moses is up there on the mountain with God, and God's telling him all these things. He's telling this is how I'm going to deal with my people. And God wrote it out on the stone. But something happened. Something happened to that first stone, that first law, that first tablet. When Moses came down from the mountain, the people had done something. And Moses, in his anger, broke those stones. And then God made Moses write on them again. But I want to talk a little bit about this contrast that takes place here. Now, I know doctrinally where we are and then contextually, meaning What's going on in the passage? We, we know that it's Israel. We know that Moses is on the mountain. But I just want to kind of grab this and do a little application for us today. And I want to call it two church services. Okay? And you say, I'm just letting you know that I'm doing this. So you don't sit there and, well, how is this a church? I just want you to kind of hang on with me here. And uh, look at chapter number 32. And it starts off in verse number 1. And this is the first church service. It says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not is what is become of him. And uh, when I talk about two different church services, I'm talking about two different approaches to getting toward God. We can have a church service where we can gather everything up, and man, we can, I mean, there are church services going on. There are people getting excited and things, and I'm not running them down. I'm not running down anything. But I'm saying there's one way to have church, and then there's another way to actually have church. There's Christianity, and then there's churchianity. There's religion, and then there's relationship. And we see that contrast here in in these two chapters, here in 32 and 33. And what we see here in chapter 32, verse number 1, we see that the people have been waiting on Moses, and they saw that he delayed to come down. And there's a couple things to point out about this first service. Number one, they got tired of waiting. And they started to do things on their own. Sometimes God puts you in a spot where you need to wait on him. And, and, and wait on God to lead. I'm just, that's just a point there. And then the other thing, and I'm not telling y'all that y'all got to hang on with I'm just saying. 
there's sometimes when God wants you to wait on something, and people get in a hurry, and they get ahead of God, right? We saw that in, uh, we see that in Jacob's life, Abraham's life with Isaac, uh, and, uh, and so it goes on. Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain. The people gathered themselves unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, number one, up, make us gods which shall go before us. So they want something to worship. They don't, they don't have the God that Moses was following, so they come up with some gods that they're going to follow. And uh, they say, make us gods. Up, make us gods which shall go before us. And you remember, when God went before them, it was a pillar it was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's how he guided them and led them. And so they're saying, well, Moses has left us behind, so we don't know where he is. He could be dead up there on the mountain. Let's just go ahead and take care of this thing. Let's make us some gods that will lead us up out of here. <coughs> now, when you look at that on the surface, it's like, how does that even happen? So, up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, and then look at the comma there. It says, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Now, the second thing that's wrong with this church service is they're following who? Who do they think delivered them out of Egypt, out of their problems in Egypt? Who delivered them from Pharaoh? Who delivered them from all of their problems? They said, this man that led us up out of Egypt. Their faith was placed in a man and not in who? God. Now, some of you are sitting out there and saying, well, that's a softball question. Sometimes you just need some softball questions. Just remember some things, right? But they're, they're trusting in a man and not in God. They're, they're giving man the credit. The man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. The other thing I want to point out to you they were willing to sacrifice their wealth for this church service. It doesn't, you know, it's not just a movement of the heart. Sometimes people are, people are willing to give to anything that they think is going to support them. Anything that they feel comfortable with, they're going to give to it. That's not what makes you close to God. God accepts your offerings. God accepts it, but he accepts it with the heart. It's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You bring yourself to God, you bring your heart to God. It's not what you have to offer. Are you offering yourself? He says, so they were willing to sacrifice for it. He says, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made a molten calf and said, these be thy gods. And the other thing that I want you to notice about this church service, they were willing to work. They were willing to offer sacrifice. They were willing to sacrifice for it, and they were willing to work for it. There's a lot of churches today that are in motion. Uh, Dr. Upman, and I, I believe it, Bob Jones Sr. may have been, but he talked about the man, the movement, the monument, the machine, the machine and the monument. Basically, a man begin, there's a movement of God. God moves on a man and he begins to preach to people and people begin to follow God because of that preaching that God gives. But then after a while, it kind of moves on past that man and things are kind of kept going, kept going. 
You see it in ministries. You see it in universities. You look at Yale. You look at Harvard. Those were all started so that people could learn the Bible. Yale and Harvard, Penn State maybe. Yeah, yeah, William Penn. Penn State, those were all started so people could learn to read the Bible, so they could learn about the Bible, so they could learn to preach and things like that. And it's all moved away. So those first men, they were there. There was a movement that took place, and people began to draw closer to God. But then over a period of time, it turns into a machine, and things just kind of keep operating. People are still willing to work. People are still willing to give, (coughs) and they're willing to follow but it's left the original purpose. Originally, God was the one that delivered the mountain. God made it in such a way. He made it in such a way while they were in Egypt that he could be the only one that could be given credit for him. Because Pharaoh hardened his heart time and time again. And God led him until it finally came down to the firstborn dying. But they were protected by the blood over the doorpost, just as you're protected by the blood of Christ. So he made it in such a way they could only God could get the credit for how they got out of there. But they get to this point and they say, the man that led us out of Egypt. And they give Moses the credit. And here they're going into a machine phase. They're, they're, they're building up. They're, they're starting things working. They're willing to work for it. They're willing to offer. And they're willing to keep it going. And there's a lot of churches. Uh, you look at <clears throat> the Methodist church overall, the Episcopal church overall, the Methodists were some fire-breathing preachers back in the day. I mean, there were people getting saved under the ministry of uh, George Whitfield. He wasn't a Methodist. John Wesley and his brother. But uh, those, those men that started churches, Martin Luther that came out of the Catholic church, there were people that were following him. There was that, that movement that's taking place, a movement of God not just a movement of man, but a movement of God within people's hearts. And then as time goes on, it's like, well, Martin Luther passes on. Well, we're going to keep it going. And it becomes a machine. And we got the money coming in. We're doing this with the money and doing that. It becomes a machine. And then eventually it turns into a monument to Martin Luther. It's Lutheranism. It's Martin Luther. It becomes a monument to Methodism. But we, we really don't need those first principles that we started. We, we can kind of keep this going, you know. We, we really need to steer over this way because this is where the world's moving today and this and that. And God is over here. And at this moment, God's up on the mountain with Moses and he's making plans for his people. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. But God, God is preparing something for his people. He's preparing a law. He's like, this is how I deal with it. He's teaching them about God's law. He's, he's beginning to, to move within their midst. All right, so they're willing to work. They're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to work. And they're willing to offer He said, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And in verse number five, and when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morning and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink. And then they rose up to play. Now that's a loaded statement because 
when you get over into verse number uh, 25, it says, For Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. That lets you know where the playing went. And so all of this is going on, and God talks to Moses. Verse number 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. It wasn't a slow change. It was a quick progression. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto. And remember, Moses is still up on the mountain when God's telling him this. And said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Stealing the glory from God. And, you know, that's, that's what a church can become. A church can operate without God. A church can operate financially. It can, op- it can have services. It can promote people. And again, I'm not even going to dig on modern church movements or anything. This is just church anyway. You can, you, there, are, there are churches for atheists. You know, there's a church for the great spaghetti monster. I can't remember the whole name of it or whatever, but somebody wanted to make fun of Christians. They made a church to the great spaghetti monster. They wear a colander on their head. They're mocking Christians, but they got their church. There's a church of Satan. You can have a church, and it doesn't have to have God in it. And you can operate, and you can, you can go along. The church of Satan, it moved out of California and moved on. It's all across the country now. They're trying to put Baphomet coloring books in schools. They're trying to, they're trying to do they, they, Satan always has to make a copy of what God does, right? So they're trying, they put statues on lawns and things like that, and they're trying to promote Satanism. They say they don't worship the devil, but they worship everything that's against God. They're worshiping the spirit of the devil. So you can have church without God. And that's essentially what they did. If you look over in let me just throw this in here, because I'll go to the second part if I have to next week. But look at Romans chapter number one. I want to show you all this. I'll get there eventually. Romans chapter number one. And we'll start at verse number 18. And I know that you all know this, but I'm going to show you. Anyway, Romans chapter number 18, verse number, no, Romans chapter number 1, verse number 18. How many of you tripped up and went to 18? Romans chapter number 1, verse number 18. Lord, keep me focused. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Now, what you're going to see here in Romans chapter 1 is you're going to see a progression. And it's like these phases of progression. Man rejects God. That's the first thing. Man can see God in nature. He can see God everywhere. Just like the Israelites, they could see God's hand. They could see the fire. Man, what we wouldn't do to be able to follow a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, amen? How many times have you prayed and it's like, I can't see you, God. I can't see you work. It's like the spirit. It's like the wind. I just have to trust that you're there. I have to trust you in faith. These Israelites had seen God's miracles firsthand. They saw the frogs. They saw the locusts. They saw the plagues that took place. They saw what the Egyptians went through. They, they heard the cry 
the midnight cry when all of the firstborn died throughout Egypt. There was a large well that went out. Even Pharaoh's son, his firstborn, <coughs> the firstborn cattle. They saw the Red Sea part. They walked over on dry ground. And it said the waters were congealed on both sides. They saw all this. And just, just like that, we can see God in nature. Just, you know, the, the more detailed you get on anything, you look at a leaf and you get smaller, you see cells on that leaf. You get smaller, you see atoms. And you see all of this pulling together and the atoms, you know, if the atoms let go, we'd all be gone. But God keeps all of this together. And so we see God in creation. So it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. There's an understanding of God within men. That's one reason that when you go to witness to somebody and you show them the truth and you show them God's word, from God's word. That's, that's a reason, you know, the Holy Spirit can use the Bible and use a person's experiences and show them God. Verse number 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I mean, when it comes to evolution or whatnot, I'm always wondering, how come there's not a Race of people that have a tail over here, another race of people that have their heart and their leg. How come there's not another race of people over here that have their kidneys up around their ears? It seemed like with evolution there would be some, you know, a third arm to help with the groceries. It'd be handy, right? We see in nature that God has created man, and man has a capacity for thought. He has a capacity to get up here and babble in front of you for an hour. But... It's okay, say amen. But God gives us this capacity for thought, for love, these emotions, and everybody has them. And it's like, there's no design there. But you see God's design in everything. It's just like you see the different, all the cars out there, they, they have, I know I'm, I'm sidetracked, help them keep focused, Lord. But you see the cars out there, and they're, they're all different shapes and designs and things like that, but they got a motor, they got, well, they're going to have batteries, but nobody will be able to afford them. But they got wheels, they got all of that, you know, to roll them down. They're, because they're made by a designer. And it's just like seeing God. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhood, so that they are without excuse. So number one, man's without excuse when it comes to knowing God. There is a God. And they say, well, I just have trouble believing. Look at nature. Because nature is the first thing that testifies of God. And in verse 21, because they're, they're without excuse, that's the foundation. It said, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. So these Israelites in the wilderness, they, they know of God. They know that God delivered them. But then they've become, they, they've, they've rejected him. They say, well, this Moses, this man that led us out, we don't know what became of him. Make us gods that we can follow. And this is, this is the progression. God shows himself to you. You reject a belief in God. And then you begin to go towards something. When you have a hole, you're going to fill it with something. 
And people begin to fill that hole. They begin to worship materialism. They begin to worship all kinds of things. They'll worship somebody that can sing better than other people. They'll worship somebody that can sing because of auto-tuning. They'll worship somebody that's rich. They'll worship anything other than God. Once they reject God, it's, the door is wide open. So it says right here, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You know what God says? All right. Help yourself. You reject God, the light, the light that he was giving you, you know, as we go out into the world, we're the light. God darkens their hearts. You've rejected me. I'm not dealing with you. We had that lesson this morning, right, in Romans chapter 11, the, the Jews rejected God. He's not done with them. That was the heart of the lesson. But blindness in part has happened to Israel. He's, he's blinded them for now. They can still see Christ, but, but God's just kind of blinded them and moved on for right now. All right, so, and then, I love this part, because I've seen it in so many places. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And, you know, I see that, and I think of scientists, I think of, I think of people that have money, I think of people who think they're smarter than people in the South, professing themselves to be wise. They're so much smarter than everyone else, they became fools. And it's really magnified in this day and age. And yes, I'm going to say it. <laughs> There's only two genders. But the idea that somebody can switch from one to the other, you, you never do. You can modify. It's kind of like, you know, when I was younger in the 80s, they'd buy a Fiero and convert it into a Ferrari. My friend, I, I had a friend that had one. He even, he even cut the, uh, the label off of a Ferrari, or not a Ferrari, but like a box or something that had the label, and he put that on the hood. He had a whole conversion kit for his Fiero to make it a Ferrari. It looked like, kind of looked like a Ferrari. It was pretty sporty. It had the body kits and everything. But inside, it was still that same little, you know? He couldn't do the suspension. He couldn't do the, the horsepower. You know, he couldn't, you couldn't get that purring out of it. It looked good. $100 saddle on a $200 horse. Yeah, $100 saddle on a $200 horse. Amen. But professing themselves to be wise. So all of a sudden, science gets thrown out the window. They become fools. And change the glory, and here's what happens, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. So the Israelites in the wilderness, and that's all I'm going to say on the other subject, the Israelites in the wilderness rejected God, and they began to worship the work of Aaron's hands. And Aaron gets over there, and he takes all that gold, and he melts it. And y'all remember my favorite part, right? Well, I just I threw this gold in there and out jumped this calf. But Aaron gets over there and he fashions it and he works it, man, and he gets that mane just right and chisels it in there. And, man, he's taking pride in his work, you know, and he's got the tail and he gets it. And, yeah, that's how I remember it. And he, oh, smooth that out. And he lays it up there. These be the gods that brought you out of Egypt. So they reject God and they begin to worship other things. 
So professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. The glory of God, that fire by night, the cloud by day, and, and what they call the Shekinah glory of God. You know, that cloud that rested over the tabernacle. And that, that God's glory just dwelling with them. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And I see, I know, you could, you could get to hitting on the holidays here. <laughs> Amen. I'm just going to throw this out here and y'all can get mad at me, but you can throw in the holidays here. Image made like a corruptible man and the birds and a four-footed beast. You know, birds, Thanksgiving, four-footed beast, uh, Easter bunny, and creeping things, Halloween. If you just want to throw stuff in there. That's just for free. Verse number 24. Wherefore, so they begin to worship the creation instead of the creator and change... Uh, verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through their lusts of their own heart to dis- dishonor their own bodies between themselves. It said they did their offerings and then they rose up to play. And then you see how they end up in nakedness. But they, they begin to go after their own lusts within this. And this is the pattern here laid out in Romans chapter 1. And he said, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, and then it goes on and on. And I'm, that's not what the sermon's about. Go back to Exodus chapter number 32. But you see, you see that pattern that takes place over and over again. And it begins with knowing there's a God, knowing, seeing his glory in nature and, and understanding that there is a God in heaven. You know, it doesn't matter where the tribe is, they're worshiping something. Like uh, Elizabeth Elliot, and when they were down there with the... Uh, was the Indians? I'm putting Megan on the spot because she's seen so much about it. But when they were with the Indians, they they worshipped. They they felt that when they died, they had to jump the Great Boa in order to go into paradise. They had a religion. They had an understanding that there was a God that created nature, and they had come up with their own religion. All right, so they do all of that, and God tells Moses about it. And, and then the Lord repented, verse number 14, uh, God was going to kill him, and Moses speaks to him in verse 14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto the people. And, uh, and Moses turned and went down from the mountain. The two tables of testimony were in his hand. It tells you about them, that God wrote them. And then verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. They've got their own service going on. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire. And then it goes on. But I want to just point out a couple other things about this first church service. The man that they were following. <clears throat> because they had lifted up Aaron to be their preacher, right? He was the one that made the calves. He was the one that they were calling out to. Verse 22, and Aaron said, let not, thine anger, not, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. So 
We see that throughout the Bible as far as taking accountability. We see that with Adam and Eve. You know, the one, Adam said to woman, the woman said to serpent, you know. And uh, we see Saul, the, but the people, when he kept, when he was disobedient, said to people, they are set on mischief. So the people, the preacher, gave the people what they wanted. And that was the other part of this service, that the preacher was willing to give everybody what they wanted and not what God wanted. There was that one point where they told Aaron, and they said, as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not has become of them. They told him to make us gods. Aaron could have said at that point, no, we're going to wait on Moses. They could have rebelled at him. They could have beat him up. But Aaron would have been blameless. But Aaron said, well, tell you what I'm going to do. Hand me those earrings, hand me all that gold, and we're going to make something to worship. But when the time came, who was Aaron blaming? It was the people. For they said unto me, make us, verse 23, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not is become of him. And I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, and he goes on, and in verse 25, and when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And we're going to finish it up right there, and we'll talk about the other church service next week. Because that's just a good place to stop right now. So my question to you is, who is on the Lord's side? And next week, we're going to see how Moses gets in the presence of God and how you as a Christian can avoid falling into that whole man, movement, machine, monument thing. If you'll stand.